Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Gina Bianca podcast, where we talk about life, business, entrepreneurship, the beauty industry, and beyond. My name is Gina Bianca, life and business coach, salon owner, educator, mastermind mentor, and your host of the Gina Bianca podcast. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I am here today with Carly Zanoni, aka The Blonde Chronicles. I've been following her literally forever, and we finally made time to do the podcast. I'm also here with Bridget Reddington. She is my brand manager, and we're so excited to get to know Carly and share some amazing education for you all on the podcast. So without further ado, hi, Carly. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We are too. Um, we've been following you forever. And when Bridget first started working at the network, she's just like, can, can the Blonde Chronicles please come to the network? And I was like, yes. And I've been like sliding in your DMs regularly trying to do a class, but I know you're a busy girl. So um, we have been like huge fans and followers forever. So we're so excited. Well, uh, by same with me. I mean, I've been following you since you were the hair doctor like a hundred years ago. So I'm like, this feels like a uh, just full circle moment. So I'm just so excited. Thank you. My pleasure. So can you tell our audience if they're living under a rock, who you are, what you do? Yeah. So my name's Carly. I work in San Diego. I live in San Diego. Um, I started doing hair about, oh my gosh, now it's almost, it's over 16 years. So graduated from school, started working in a salon, built a clientele, and then A couple of years ago, probably about five-ish, five to six years ago, I started dabbling in education, not really sure what that would look like or what would come of it. Um, But yeah, so started doing education, teaching classes. And just as of recently, I've kind of made that more of my focus and taken a little bit of a step back from working behind the chair, but did take clients for pretty much 16 years. I just, I just kind of took a step back from that a couple of years ago. So yeah, I have classes in person classes and I have online education and, um, just kind of trying out a little bit of everything now, just seeing where the industry takes me. That's amazing. Isn't it nice to have a change from behind the chair? Yes. It's, I feel very fortunate to get that opportunity and it is, it is very nice. Yeah. How did you get there? You know, (laughs) Honestly, it was, I I hate to say this. I mean, COVID was a terrible time for so much of the world, but COVID kind of um, helped me to really launch my online education, which I think was the missing piece between just doing education and doing education and working behind the chair. I, you know, over time, slowly, I've kind of taken steps back from working behind the chair. And I know, Gina, you talk a lot about this just I put in all those hours for the first 10 years. I worked Saturdays. I worked nights. I worked, I said yes to everything and got that experience of taking on clients and, and feeling, you know, working my way up to feeling confident doing clients behind the chair. Cause I did struggle with anxiety a lot when I first started doing hair, but I think it's just been a slow and steady pace to get here. Honestly. I mean, I worked hard, tried to get the full clientele. And then I kind of started dabbling in education, like I said, and then COVID happened and I had a whole year of classes planned in 2020. I was like, okay, this is my year. I'm going all out with just, I'm doing like 10 classes, 12 classes, whatever it was. And then of course, all of that got completely foiled and I had to pivot. And I had been thinking for a while, 
you know, it'd be cool to kind of get into the online space. Like I know you have your online thing. I've seen other educators do that. And I was like, that's a cool way to reach people that will never be able to go to a class in person. They'll just never be able to get there. So um, COVID happened and I launched my online education, which, uh, you know, you might be able to speak to this too. And I would love to know your thoughts on it, but that's a little bit different as far as, you know, it's a subscription. So it's a little bit more of a guarantee of as far as your financials go. So every month I was kind of watching my online education grow and I'm thinking, okay, I got to the point where the online education had grown quite a bit. And I thought I'm kind of getting to that point where I can't really do the clients behind the chair and be an educator, do everything really well. Like I'm kind of half-assing everything because I have too much on my plate at this point. So it was a very tough decision because I genuinely love taking clients. I love connecting with people like that. And um, just having that in salon life is what I really started doing hair for. But I kind of said, you know, I'm going to take a step back, see how this goes. And I always have clients to come back to if I want. And from there, I'm I'm a big believer in like, you just go for it and you just figure it out and make it work and manifesting the stuff that I want to happen. And I know, you know, for me, that's what really works. And so it kind of just, once I took a step back from working behind the chair, other things started to fall into place and gr- like the education started to grow even more and that kind of stuff. So it's been a journey, but I am so thrilled with how it's worked out. Obviously, like like you said, it's it's a great chance to be able to not work behind the chair and really connect with other stylists and and go full force into the education, which is what I I really love doing that. Yeah, it's amazing. And I mean, COVID was a nightmare, but it also helped me get my business online. It gave me time. Exactly. And I thought it was such a curse in the beginning, but it turned out to be the biggest blessing for sure. Absolutely. I fully agree with you. Yeah. I would love to talk about education. Like, what do you, do you feel like there are negatives to online education? I don't know if negatives, but I would say some people potentially learn maybe better in person. Um, So I think there could be that kind of situation where somebody doesn't have the same connection with an educator that they would in person. And they may, they might write them off or their education off simply because it's virtual and you're not getting that connection with them online. Um, I would say on balance. So I think there's way more good things about it than bad, just because it does allow, you know, somebody, like I said, somebody lives in a completely another, a completely different country. They're never going to be able to make it to a class. It's just not in, it's not a reality. Um, so for those situations, I think it's great. Also just the convenience of it, obviously, a lot of times if you travel to classes, it's like a two or three day ordeal and it's expensive. And the convenience of just like hopping on and watching a video quickly and getting education in the comfort of your own home, I think has opened up doors for people. So on balance, I would say it's more positive in my opinion. Absolutely. I totally agree. It's like super positive, but I feel like it's so hard to keep people engaged. You know what Very I mean? True. Like it's like they'll pay for, you know, the subscription, but like how often are they like participating and engaging? And in my group, we have like great engagement, but it's a it's a full-time job 
to keep your audience engaged. And like, of course, like we talk about like the passive income, how you said it's great for, you know, more, no, it's ne- not passive, excuse me. It's not passive. Um, but I know what you mean. Yeah. The it's- subscription type income. But like one of the things, if you ever wanted to start an online education business is think about how to keep your community engaged. Cause it's so easy, like with the accountability to like buy a ticket and go to a class and like show up, there's way more accountability than like subscribing and like you know, you got to push yourself to take advantage of all of that. Absolutely. And that's such a great point. Cause I do feel like a lot of people will be like, Oh, this is my year for education. I'm going to sign up for this education, this virtual education. And then, yeah, they never watch it. And I noticed that, I mean, on mine, I can kind of see how, like who watch it, how many videos they're getting watched or what you're watching kind of a thing. Yeah. We can and, see on ours too. Yeah. And a lot, I would say it's that 80, 20 thing. It's like, 20% of the, or I know I'm going to say this wrong, but it's like 80, 20% of the people are like 80% of the work. Am I saying that right? But yeah. it's basically like a small majority of the people are the ones that are DMing me are asking me questions are actively watching the videos. And a lot of people probably, you know, sign up with, of course, with the best of intentions, but then we get busy. So like you said, I think that is the difference in, in, you know, in-person education, 1000%. Because if you buy a ticket for a couple hundred dollars, like you want to go and you want to actually make use of it. So yeah, you're so right with that. Yeah. It's just so interesting. And it's like, I started teaching classes like for, I did private classes in salons. I started Mm -hmm. doing like ticketed and touring stuff. And it's like, as an educator, isn't it like the best feeling to like have an engaged room and like have like that energy. And it's like, how can we bring that energy online? And it takes definitely some work and it takes like, you know, it takes like work and dedication to engage your community. A lot of people think that doing like a subscription is just passive, easy income. And it's definitely not. I think that it can be easy at times and it can be something that's like, oh my God, I can't believe I have this. But like, it does take a lot of, you know, dedication to keep them engaged. Absolutely. I 1000% agree. And I was actually speaking with another educator about this and they were kind of asking like, you know, I want to get into some virtual education. How do you feel about doing like a one-off class that I just sell for like a couple hundred dollars versus a membership? Because I think the the appeal with the subscription is like, oh, you can make a lot more money. Like that's one of the biggest pieces, right? And like you said, people think it's passive. My opinion is the complete opposite. It's so much more passive if you do a one-off class and you just film it and then it's done. And there's not really much else to do with that. Of course, you can like answer questions on the video or whatever, have a Facebook group, something to engage a little bit. But the subscription is, is also interesting because it's kind of that thing of no matter how many members you have, the workload does not change that much. So if you launch a subscription and you get 20 people, or if you launch a subscription, you get a thousand people, you know, obviously with the 1000, you're making more money per month, but you are still doing, you still have to film the same amount of videos, basically. I mean, maybe the questions you're getting from people are a little bit less, but it doesn't necessarily equate to being so much less work if you have a lot more members. So it seems so appealing, like, oh my gosh, I, I can like make all this money per month. And of course there's, plenty of other benefits as we know to being an educator and it's more than the money as well. But I do think that, like you said, getting that engagement in there and actually connecting with people and making it feel like a community takes a lot of work and time. And 
it's it's great and I love connecting with people in that way and it's been really cool but it's it's been an, a big learning experience just figuring out and saying like wow this is a lot of work hence my taking a step back from doing clients because you know I still take content models of course to actually like stay up on my skills and film content but it became that thing of like wait this is so much work actually like this is really taking time which if I had great, a clientele, if I had a client base, I'd freak out. Same. Yeah. I would not be able to handle it. Same. Well, I, I was taking out. clients. I, I've slowly gone down to less days. You know, I had two kids and I've slowly kind of been lessening my mm-hmm. days. And as of like just, a, you know, six or eight months ago, I was taking clients two days a week and I was like, okay, I'll be able to manage this. And those two days, I still, it, it was like this constant feeling of, I just woke up with so much anxiety on those days. Cause I'm like, I can't get literally a thing done except for the clients in the salon. And I want to show up for them. But then I also know that I, when I get home tonight at seven o'clock, I have like this load of work. And finally it was just kind of like, you know, this just doesn't make sense anymore. I'm just not showing up really that well for anybody. And it was a tough choice, but definitely, like you said, it'd be, it'd be, it's too hard to maintain with a full clientele. It is so hard. Like yeah. something has to give. I, exactly. I realized that in the beginning of it, I was like, I have to do all of this and do clients. And I was like, no. And I went all in on it. And it was like the best thing that I ever did. And it was super scary, right? Because like, you're going to refer totally. your clients out to like all these people. And like, hopefully this works, you know, it's, it's really scary, but it ends up being worth it if you put the work in, right? I totally agree. And I mean, you own a salon too. Like that's just... It's just wild. So yeah, I totally agree. It ends up being a thousand percent worth it, but it was scary. Same thing for me. I was like, okay, well, guess I guess I got to make this work, but it was comforting that I always have the clients to go back to. Like maybe not the same ones, maybe they've moved on and found somebody else, but I always have that. I could always go back working behind the chair if need be kind of a thing. And that was slight, that was comforting. Yeah. That's the beauty of multiple revenue streams. We were talking about that on last week's episode and it's like, you know, something doesn't work out. You turn that income stream back on. It's having that diversity. Do you have any other income streams? So I work with some brands, which is, um, which is kind of awesome. So that's definitely a different, you know, that's another income from another place and kind of influencer stuff and creating content in exchange for, you know, either, products and stuff, but monetary compensation is obviously the, the bit, the bigger income stream. Um, so that's been awesome. And just kind of exploring that as well. I think it goes kind of hand in hand with educating and, um, working with a brand. I mean, they go seamlessly like together. I feel like, uh, the other thing that I've just launched is products like physical products, which has been cool. Yeah, I know. I need to send you some. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Send me some. Thank you. Yeah. So Congrats. I, thank you. Um, last year I had been chatting with behind the chair and talking to them about, there's a couple tools that I use, um, you know, exclude, like I, you, I've been using them for years and they have really just elevated my color ability just so much. It were, they were a couple of things that just felt like, okay, wait, this clicks, like this makes sense. Um, so last year I launched a board with behind the chair. We like collaborated on that. And then this year, just a couple of months or just a month ago, I launched, I use this teasing brush that I use like on everybody. 
Um, I love it. So I launched that. And then I have this wide tooth comb that I have been root melting with for like a hundred years. And I swear it's changed my life. So I launched my own version of that. And then just a brush that I love for brushing out, like detangling, brushing out back combing specifically. So, um, so those, that's been cool. And you know, that I'm just learning about that space. It's a whole nother, whole nother thing, but it's a whole other ball game. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's been, that's been another, um, income stream, which is, you know, like, even if not everything is making you, you know, zillions of dollars, a bunch of smaller things can be really helpful. So it's been, it's been cool. It's been good. I love that. And it's so interesting to talk with you because like, when I like when you're talking to hairstylists and say you're in a group of a thousand hairstylists, like how many of them are going to be this successful with all of the different opportunities for growth? And, you know, that number is super small, yeah, right? Because they yep. don't have the tools or they don't realize it's even possible. And I think it's so cool. And I'm going to just guess that you don't have any because I'm a college dropout. But did you get this far with just your license? Totally. Yeah. I went to a year of San Diego State, honestly, because the biggest reason was like, I don't want to miss out on like living in the dorms with my friends. And so, yeah, so I went for a year and was like, this is okay. The social part's great, but like, I don't want to do this school. And yeah, I went to hair school and then was like, I've been, you just figure it out. Like, as you know, I mean, just, you just figure it out somehow, but yeah, no, no college. I, I would say not really much education. Honestly, I was, uh, socializing way too much that one year in college. So I love it. It's so, it gives like hope to so many people who have a Cosmo license, like totally they have, it's it's like just a cosmetology license, but look what you can do. You can really be an entrepreneur in this industry. There's so much money to be made and so many opportunities. I say that all the time. I'm, I always, I just, I actually, this was like years ago, but you were on a Brit Siva podcast and, um, I love something you said, I love her, but something you said stuck with me, like literally. And I think that was probably, it was definitely before COVID. I don't even know when it was, but, um, it was years ago. I know the podcast you're talking about years ago. And you just said, you just said, you know, I just, I love money. Like I don't make excuses about that. And I love what I'm doing, but I also am here to make money. And I was like, that is empowering. And it feels validating because I think a lot of times it's unfortunate, but hairstylists get this, um, just this, the whole industry kind of gets this generalized idea that like, we should just be dying to do hair for people. Like, for no money essentially. And it should not be like that. Of course, like this is a job we've worked hard at it. We want to make money at it. And like you said, it's just, it's just figuring out ways to get there and to get it done. And there is so much money to be made in this industry. Just honestly, an outrageous amount. Like when you really think about it, so many avenues that you can go down and it's not just taking clients behind the chair, which can be extremely profitable as well, by the way, but um, I just love that. I, I feel there's a shift in the industry and we're kind of getting a little bit more, you know, like empowered, like this is a job and we are here to get the lives we want. And sometimes that takes those uncomfortable conversations talking about pricing, whatever it may be, but it is true that just anything is possible. And I do think it's like, you know, I listen to podcasts all the time about people like you and Brit Siva's podcast and just 
the the paths people take to find success in this industry. And it's, it is like comforting that there are so many options and so many ways to make money and make a lot of money in the industry. Yeah. I used to feel really ashamed about money. Mm -hmm. I used to feel like, uh, I don't know. And I think it just all is like rooted in people pleasing and fear of abandonment, like really like deeply rooted in like, I'm not worth it. So true. That comes out with people pleasing behaviors and the people pleasing behaviors leads to not having healthy entitlement. There's like unhealthy entitlement, which everybody listening knows what I'm talking about. Absolutely. You feel like the world owes you something. And then there's healthy entitlement where it's just like, I deserve what I have and I worked fucking hard and I'm not going to be ashamed or give it away or, you know, feel guilty and shitty about my success or my earnings. Yep. A thousand percent agree with you. And I mean, I am one of those people that pricing. I I mean, 16 years in, I honestly hate talking about it with clients. It just makes me uncomfortable. And I can relate to Silas when they say that, but I just go back to the fact of like, and I, you know, I went for many years, like feeling very, like you said, ashamed of, oh my gosh, well, I shouldn't want to like charge this person more or make more money or whatever. And then I honestly give myself a pep talk when I'm discussing like a price increase or anything about pricing. And I just go back to like, you know, especially in the client realm of things, like this is a luxury service. It, this is not covered by health insurance. People are choosing to be here. And there's plenty of hairstylists for plenty of price points. But this is ridiculous that I'm if I would go home at the end of the day and feel defeated because I charge people way less than I, you know, know I should or whatever. So um I love that you talk about that. And I think you hugely empower stylists with that and all your content about that, which which is great because it is, it's just like you said, healthy entitlement, like we have worked hard and it's not just a cosmetology license. I mean, now stylists, you know, are investing thousands in out in other education, continuing education. They're really, really perfecting their craft. And I think slowly, but surely some, hopefully most clients are kind of getting on board with that and recognizing like, Hey, this isn't just like us working in a beauty shop, you know, making, no money, basically. Like this is a legit career, and we have worked hard to be able to make a very good living at it. So I love that you talk about that and empower people with that. Yeah, I love it. It's it was definitely. I always say that the transformation you're meant to teach is your transformation, and mm-hmm. one of the biggest transformations I had as a hairstylist was with money. I love that. That's such a that's such a great thing. One of the Wait, say that again. The transformation that the you transformation have. transformation that you're meant to teach is your transformation. I love that. Because you can be so, con- you're connected to it. You believe in it. You lived it. You know it. It's real. And that's, that's so, that's so true. Because yeah. I started, I started in the industry, like in a salon, like everyone else. Like I built my clientele on Groupon in 2009. Yeah. Groupon and um, like living social. Remember Hell living yeah. social? How yeah. old are you? I'm 35. About I'm, to 30, I'm 31. So we're okay. like the same. Yeah. It's like living social and Groupon. And then you had like get a full highlight for $70 and you'd get like these like gorgeous Latinas with hair down past their ass, thick black hair. And they're like, here you go. Every yep. race and gender, whatever. But it was like, it was always the most 
thick hair that came oh, yeah. in. Oh <laughs> yeah. I, because they probably knew. They're I like, had to learn how to upsell and build that ticket from $70. Yep. I remember the Groupon days and I even like, this is make me sound really old, but when I first started doing clients, I sent out a mailer like in the fucking mail on Vistaprint Savage. where it's like send to this zip code. And I sent out like a hundred mailers being like, Ooh, this is, I'm, I'm set. This is and zero people, literally zero. The first time I sent it came in, but the Groupon was, was a bit more effective, but still exactly like you said, or like I used to do them for Brazilian blowouts. And these people would just come in with like so much hair, like doing a four hour Brazilian blowout for like $80 or something outrageous, like just insane. <laughs> oh, so bad. I know it was bad. And then when I opened my salon and I had all of my stylists going through it and I had to teach them how to talk about pricing. We were the most expensive salon in 15 miles. Wow. That's awesome. And I had to like coach and guide them to being confident and to building a ticket and to owning the price. Like these yeah. are the prices you are set up to win. This is how you build a ticket. And you know, my highest performers worked in retail before hair. Mm, wow. Interesting. Mm -hmm. My girl, Megan at Blonde and Bougie, she worked at Sephora. Okay. Wow. Highest, that makes sense. Yeah. Highest retailer, highest service, consistent. And you know, she said her best advice, you keep going until they say no. That, I love that. And I was That's like, great. damn girl, but she has like blondes that need it. You know what I mean? It yeah. was never like, oh, you don't need this, but she wasn't right. going to like not recommend something that you needed to achieve right. your goal because she was afraid that you couldn't afford it. And she always said shop with the, their wallet, not yours. Yep. That's a great point. That's such a great point. And I love also the thought of like, you know, in terms of retail and even with upselling tickets. So it's like, we don't, it, what they're, what's, what's in their wallet or like their bank account is honestly none of our business. And I think a lot of times we forget about the fact of like, some people literally go to places because they are more expensive. Like some people just automatically you have value with that. If you, you know, not saying like everybody go and just go crazy with your prices and be the most expensive if you're not at that point. But we forget that a lot of people actually just automatically see more value in a service with you if you are more expensive or if you are offering retail. People want that a lot of times. And and I think it's really easy to get in that trap of like emotional discounting. Like I know Britt Siva talks about that all the time. There's emotional discounting or like, oh, I feel bad. Like I'm not going to push this on them. But it's like they don't they, they might want you to offer some product recommendations and tell them what more they need. Like people don't know a lot of the time and want that info. My biggest pet peeve is a stylist who doesn't sell retail. Yeah. It's, it's so it's a biggest pet huge. peeve. Yeah. It's such a wasted opportunity and it's such a disservice to the guest. Totally. It's very, very true. It's and I think yeah, we just like get in our own head of like, oh, I'm just I'm just selling too hard. I'm pushing this on them. And it's like <laughs> it's fear well, of rejection. Yeah. So, so true. Yeah. That's so true. It's they don't, they would rather lose money than be rejected. Very true. They would rather well, live in poverty than be rejected. Think of how deeply rooted that is. 
That's so true. I love how you word that too. That really kind of like gets to the bottom of it, but it's true because what's the worst that's going to happen? Literally, what is the worst? They say, no, I really don't want that. And they're like firm about it. It's like, okay, well, I tried like, and you made an effort at least, you know, let me take it even a step farther. What's the worst that could happen? They come in, they spend $200 on products. And then a week later they show up with half of the, with, uh, the bottles and they're like, I don't like this and I want to return it. Like, okay, that sucks, but how can you, so what are you going to do? What's the worst that could happen? And what are you going to do? So what are you going to do? You're going to say, amazing. This is my refund policy. I will take all of these products back and put them on my back bar and you can pick something else out. If they're completely unopened, I'll issue a full return. Like it gives you the opportunity to solve a problem and provide that service for the guest. It's like a redo is like the worst that could happen. But the best thing that could happen is you use it as an opportunity to show how you do business and take care of your client. That's such a good point. I really, I really like that. Yeah, it is. It is exactly an opportunity to just, like you said, show how you run your business and it's worth, it's certainly worth giving it a try and offering them retail and selling them retail. Absolutely. Something. Um, yeah, Goldbridge. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have anything you want to chime in with? I know I'm chiming in what, 30 minutes into this? Um, <laughs> no, but we just talked a lot about this today was like the threshold of control with Tony Robbins. And it's like, if you're not giving yourself the opportunities to grow and take accountability and responsibility for your business, how are you going to be able to scale it and get to the next level? Such a great point. It's so true. Cause if you don't take that leap, is that, I'm sure you figure this out too, Gina, with like launching with, I mean, opening a salon, geez, that's like the biggest example. Like that is so risky in so many ways. I'm surprised they don't have gray hair. I know. Right. Like, and same with launching an education business. It's the same thing. It's like, if you don't put yourself out there to potentially have a failure, but potentially exceed expectations like tenfold, then there's you're you're already setting yourself up for disaster if you don't even try. You already know the outcome. It's going to be the same. Nothing's going to change. So it's that's such a great reminder, Bridget. And it's insane because like for me, the worst has happened. My employee based right. salon had a twelve person walkout. Wow. I closed my employee based salon. Wow. My new salon got shut down completely by the government. My entire wow. class tour was canceled and I had to refund a hundred grand in tickets. Oh, yep. Uh, my platform completely crashed in mastermind. Like I have dealt, I had someone have a medical event in one of my classes. Really? Yeah. A medical event had to clear the room and call an ambulance. Wow. And like I've dealt with so many things when you say like, what's the worst can happen? Oh, someone has a seizure in the audience. <laughs> it yeah. fucking happened like, to me. Been there. And it's yep. like, you know, now that that's happened, like Bridget was speaking about the threshold of control. It's like, we know how to deal with stuff. And then a problem happens outside of our threshold. And we have to literally make a decision, figure it out do what needs to be done. I know you kept saying you just have to figure it out. You have mm-hmm. to just make a decision. And then either, even if it's the wrong decision, yeah. now it's within your new threshold and it just keeps expanding. I love that. And I think that's such a good point because people are so afraid to like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to make the wrong choice. Even something as small as like, 
you're formulating color or something as big as like, you know, I had a 12 person walkout. Like there are scales of making the so to speak wrong choice, but that's what it is. It's just make a choice, go with it. And then you deal with the implications later. If there are any, it might be the best choice ever, but you have to make some choice to move yourself forward and to create any sort of growth or success. And I think we often get caught up in that of like, you get so stressed about those choices that you freeze, that you're frozen. You can't, you can't do anything good or bad. You're just stuck where you are. And I think that is very limiting. And once you kind of trust yourself enough to get out of that mindset and just say, I'm going to, I'm going to do something good or bad. It's life-changing. Like truly it's, it's insane. Well, Bridget, we were talking about this in mastermind this morning. That's where what comes from anxiety, anxiety comes from letting a decision sit too long. You have to grow the fuck up and make a decision. (laughs) Yep. Analysis analysis paralysis, but that's where anxiety comes from. It comes from, you have a decision to make and you're letting it sit too long and it just becomes a part of your life. It's Mm -hmm. that is such a good, that is such a good, like, I don't know if analogy is the right word, but way to think about that. And that is huge. And I, you know, I think a lot about what you, what you said earlier, like struck me so much that your transformation is what you're meant to teach. And, and I teach a ton about just tons of anxiety behind the chair, because that's how I felt doing hair. It was literally analysis paralysis. Every person that came in, I overthought the tiniest details to the death, like to where I couldn't even do anything successful because I was overthinking it so hard. Like, should I use this toner? Like this, this lightener, whatever. And that's a lot of what I talk about is like, let's get confidence behind the chair because from that unleashes like a whole world of this industry that you've never even knew existed. And, you know, something even as small as the, the absolute anxiety of like sitting with the choice of like, what placement am I going to do? I mean, I'm sure you run into that a lot. People are like, I don't know what placement to do. And I can never really like figure out what they want based on their photo. And it's just like, just jump in and start experimenting with things and figuring it out. That's how you do it. Like you said, all these experiences, now you have that threshold of being able to make decisions kind of a thing. And it's, it really is. It's just like, just make a decision good or bad just move forward and try and work through it I think a big part of like what's underlying all of this too is like you have to accept failure like before any decision making happens like you have to know and accept that failure is going to happen like absolutely exactly and then even sometimes for me it helps like you said Gina it's like literally what is the worst that could happen and that does help me like truly thinking of, okay, what's the worst? Like this toner is too dark. I have the tools to fix that. Okay. I'll get out a Malibu packet and get it out or I'll like bleach wash the ends. Like that is, I mean, there's other worst case scenarios, obviously. Okay. You fry all their hair off, but it's like, you know, the, the, the steps to take to prevent that. And then sometimes exactly there is failures. Like we've all been there. And I think that's, you know, it's cliche, but it really is how you learn a ton and figure stuff out. But yeah, consider like, okay, that's the worst that is going to happen. I mean, I'll survive. I know what to do to fix it kind of a thing. And I think you get like, people get so caught up in, in, like you said, Bridget, like you're, you, you cannot be too afraid to fail that it stops you from making any choice, any decision. So true. Absolutely. And then like the, I guess my final thought on it would be like, 
we all are going to rest our heads on our pillows at the end of the day. Like we're yes. all sleep and wake up and, you know, new day, fresh starts. I say that so frequently. And it's such a thought that I have that seems just so minor and not important. But when I used to like have a day of, you know, when I was much less confident about doing hair, really had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I have comfort in the fact that at the end of this day, I'm going to leave here, go home. I'm going to like have my life at home and whatever happens today, like I will leave here and I'll think about it, whatever, but the day is going to end. I'm going to be okay no matter what happens. And I will come back the next day and try something different or do the same thing if it works. But it's such a small, that's like, seems meaningless kind of a thing, but it really is at the end of the day. It's going to be over. The clients are all going to leave no matter what. And you go home and you go to sleep and just life goes on. And it's like comforting to go back to that somehow. Totally. Um, This was such a great episode. I feel like we could keep going on and on and on and on. (laughs) I like love talking to you. I feel like, um, you know, this is our career. And I think that that's like the theme of this episode. And in our career, there are going to be those ups and downs, but you have to continue growing and elevating. Like you're a perfect example of elevating the beauty industry and elevating other artists. Like it's amazing. Well, same to you. I mean, you're so huge with that, but thank you so much. It's awesome. Um, I would love, can you tell us about your subscription group? Like what it includes, like what members get when they subscribe, like how much is it? For sure. Yeah. So it's $15 a month or you can pay annually, which is 165. So included in the subscription, there's about 120 tutorials now. Um, and they cover multiple topics. There's tons of techniques and I'm always focusing on, you know, just working smarter, not harder, being a bit more efficient behind the chair and just trying to simplify so that we don't overthink and drive ourselves crazy. Um, 120 tutorials, you know, blonding techniques, brunette techniques, any color, you know, any color techniques. There's also haircutting, a bunch of stuff about business. Um, there's a content about social media and just creating the clientele you want with social media, how I actually create the content, like the apps I use, that kind of a stuff or that kind of a thing. And then I've also had on guest educators. So it's me as well as other people educating too. Um, there's a Facebook group. You can DM me anytime with as many questions as you want on the private Instagram account. Um, and I do monthly giveaways. So yeah, it's a fun little community of a, of a, of a few, you know, great stylists and they're all supportive and wonderful. And I'm thrilled to have them there. I love it. Well, if you ever need a guest educator, I, yeah, I'd love to have you in my group too. Yes. Oh my God. I would be. We should do a honored. switch. We should okay. do a flip. <laughs> Let's do it. I would love to chat about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I, we covered so much. I just we feel really like, did. I feel like it's a great place to end because I agree. like we, we went through so much and I just felt like it was so valuable And I hope whoever's listening, you know, I hope that this inspired you to continue growing and to continue elevating and to continue educating yourself because the sky is the limit in this industry and all you need is a cosmetology license. 
Yep. I could not agree more. And thank you so much for having me. And I'm just, I'm honored to be here and I totally agree. Like keep pushing and the sky is truly the limit. Awesome. Where can they find you on Instagram? So I am at the.blonde.chronicles on Instagram and um, you can find all the links in my bio for everything there and DM me if you guys have any questions or have anything to chat about. Awesome. Any final thoughts, Bridge? No, this was great. I mean, I guess um, closing thought, if you could give any piece, one piece of advice to stylists just starting out, what would it be? Oh, I love that. Um, A lot of people probably aren't going to like this, but my advice is just hustle culture, as I like to call it, or as the kids say, is just not dead and working so, so hard has served me incredibly well. And I think Gina could probably agree with that. Um, Just put in that time and say yes to a lot. And, you know, it's easy to kind of immediately go into the thing of like, I don't want to work Saturdays. I don't want to work nights. And I a thousand percent get that. But my advice is do it and say yes to stuff and learn as you go and take on all the clients. So you learn how to do everything. And then you learn, maybe you do want to specialize, but you, you won't really know until you try out everything. So, um, I don't know, hopefully that's not too intense, but I would say just like work hard and don't feel defeated if it doesn't happen overnight. Cause social media is a wild place and makes it feel like everybody has instant instant success is like traveling the world, doing all these things. But it took me six years to feel even like I remotely had a clue what I was doing and get even an iota of a clientele. So just keep going. It's going to be worth it. And it's going to pay off. I promise. It's amazing. Great advice. And on this podcast, we don't shame people for working hard and following their dreams. No, we Good. don't. We are. You are trying to. <laughs> we're trying to help people get to what they want. You know. So I knew love, you'd be on board with that. We love boundaries, but we also didn't get here working two hours a day. <laughs> yep, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely, <laughs> I love it, Carly. Thank you so so much. We'll connect later, and we'll do something together. I'm so happy for you and all of your success. You're an inspiration to everybody listening, and to me and Bridget. So thank you again for your time. Oh my gosh. Well, the feeling is mutual. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. 